All right, well, as you know, um, we've been uh, studying the book of Acts, and we are in Acts chapter 5. We're going to start today with verse 30. I think contextually, I'm going to start with verse 27, um, just to give us a little bit of context for where verse 30 starts. But before I do that, let's open an order of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, we pray that we would be good stewards of your word. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. Lord, I pray that it would change me just as it changes the listeners, Lord, and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you. Lord, thank you for the testimony of our dear brother from Ireland. Lord, we cry out for this nation um, that so desperately needs you. We know that for a long time they had a ban on abortion and they recently rescinded it. And it's kind of ironic, Lord, that everyone who voted to rescind this ban is alive because it was not allowed in Ireland. But Lord, we just pray that you would send a revival to Ireland. We pray that these sheets that have gone out would minister your word. We know that your word is powerful and that it... Um, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we, we trust that promise, Lord, that people will hear the word of God and they will be changed by it. And Lord, we pray similar prayers for our country, Lord. We pray that you would raise up leaders who would boldly speak your word and that you would send revival upon this uh, great land. And uh, we just thank you for your watch care over us and your mercy. We thank you for living in a free country. Where we are able to do this without fear of reprisal or arrest. And we pray that we would do so continually and boldly until the day that you call us home. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts 5, verse 27 to begin our message today. And um, I, I've simply titled um, this message, and I'm not, I'm not extremely creative with my sermon titles often. But I've simply titled it, if you're taking notes, The Good News Continues. And the first point is the gospel cuts to the heart. Uh, Acts 5, 30 to 33. But as I said, I'm going to back up to 27 to give us a little bit of context going forward. Here we go. Acts five twenty seven. And when they had brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest asked and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold you have filled Jerusalem. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Um, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins 
and we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Now, by way of introduction, it was brought to my attention that this past week, a Chick-fil-A restaurant opened in the city of Toronto, Canada. And there was a, a wide variety of protesters who were protesting the Chick-fil-A. Um, and there's also another protest that was going on in Kansas because they're trying to open one in the University of Kansas. And the simple reason why people protest Chick-fil-A so ardently is because when asked a very pointed question, uh, the chairman of, Ch of Chick-fil-A gave a very pointed answer. He was asked, what do you believe about marriage? And he simply said, I believe marriage as God intended it, it is between a man and a woman for life. And because of that, people ironically filled with hate and angst and anger and all these things that they accuse Chick-fil-A of now protest them and try to get their restaurants closed because they simply stand on a Judeo-Christian ethic one that causes them to be closed on Sundays and yet be in the top three of all sales for restaurants in the United States. Because they chose to honor God with what they do. And incidentally, the fact that they're closed on Sundays allows them to be open in crisis. Often they will open on Sunday after a hurricane or some other natural disaster and they will serve people free of charge. Because that's what love tells them to do. And yet they are still victims of such hate from these people. And I see that in this passage that we are reading today about the apostles. They haven't done anything bad. As a matter of fact, they've been healing people. God has given them the power to heal through him. To the point that people are being healed, even being around Peter. Because the power of God is emanating forth from him. And um, so, but their concern is on their popularity. When Jesus was alive, what did they say? They said, we have to go kill Lazarus. Because Jesus is taking away our popularity. They didn't say because he's wrong, even though there are other passages where they said he was wrong. In this particular case, they didn't say because he's wrong. They didn't say because he's evil. They said because he is swaying the nation away from us. So they didn't really care about what he was teaching. They only cared that they were not allowed to get their points across. And this is the same kind of thing that they are saying to these disciples. They said, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood down upon us? They realize how ridiculous that sounds, especially when, what did they say when Jesus 
was going to be crucified, they said these words, His blood be upon us and upon our children. God, The disciples didn't bring Jesus' blood down upon these men. They did. Then Peter and the disciples answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. What does this remind you of? It reminds us of Acts chapter 4. When Peter and John said the same thing, we ought to obey God rather than men. It just reminds me so much of the Gospel of John where Jesus would say, this is who I am. And they would say, they would get mad at him for saying who he was. And then a little while later, they'd ask him who he was. And then they'd get mad because he told them who he was. And then they'd ask him again. Repeatedly throughout the book of John specifically, you see that. And even when he's on trial for his life, he says, for which of the good things that I did are you killing me? And why did you come after me like a thief or a robber? Did I not speak openly with you in the temple? I've done nothing in secret. This is what Jesus is saying. But Peter again speaks boldly and it's a testament to the power of the Holy Spirit because we all know that Peter, in the end of the Gospels, he ran and said, I don't know the man. But he, he talks about um, that God raised up Jesus. And you slew him and hang him on a tree. And as God exalted to his right hand to be a prince and a savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The Pharisees and the religious leaders had such a high opinion of themselves that they said to the man born blind, You art thou a sinner, and yet do you teach us? They missed the very fact that they themselves were sinners in need of a Savior. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Remember, he said, I will send you, I will not leave you comfortless. But when I go, I will leave you a comforter, the Holy Spirit of truth, which will guide you. And this is the one that Jesus, that Peter is relying on at this point. So he is saying, this is the situation. And then it says, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay him. The word of God always cuts to the heart. When you look in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, there was no altar call. I've heard a preacher say, and I, at first I wasn't sure what to think, but the more I thought about it, the more I agree with him. He said the sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than we will ever know. Not that it's always wrong. Please don't get me wrong. I think it can be a good tool. But praying certain words and walking an aisle are not what save us. And when Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, he did not give an altar call. He did not say, come and be saved. 
When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the people were cut to the heart and they were convicted so much in their souls that they said to Peter themselves, what must we do to be saved? And then Peter was ready with the answer, repent and be baptized. And I think we need to realize that unless the Holy Spirit is moving, nothing of substance will happen. And we also see when Jesus was alive that the people were cut, that the leaders were cut to the heart and they gnashed their teeth and they tried to throw him off a cliff when he read from Isaiah chapter 61 and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your but it wasn't his time, so he passed on through. In Acts chapter 2, we see them cut to the heart, so they trust Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, we see them cut to the heart, and they take counsel to slay Peter. Because the word of God always cuts to the heart. The question is, is it going to cut into a tender heart who's going to turn to God, or is it going to cut into a hard heart? It's going to turn even farther away from God. You can't be in the presence of Jesus without being changed one way or another. If we could read further on this from Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. If one of the gentlemen, when they get to the passage, can read it for us. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. No man despise that you, but be thou an example to believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Uh, Hebrews. Uh, that was a good verse. <laughs> um, but the one we're looking for is Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. All things are naked before him. The word of God is a <clears throat> piercer and divider of the heart and a discerner of its thoughts and intentions. You know, if I wasn't a believer, the fact that all things are naked before God would be would leave me trembling because I've done some things that I'm not proud of. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Paul said, but for the grace of God, there go I. And he of all people would know that because he'd been down some pretty wicked roads. So, you see in these two stories, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 5, that the word of God is a powerful discerner of the heart, either of the wicked in your heart or of the tenderness toward the things God. 
Um, it was once said of the ministry of F.B. Meyer, he supported every effort to get a man out of the slum. He was more concerned, however, to get the slum out of the man. Man's first great need is to be born again, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only power that can give a man a new heart. I worked in the homeless community for a year and a half, from March of 2008 to December of 2009. And I saw the truth of this. Because unless you have a life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing anybody gives you or does for you will have any permanent effect. Someone once asked a former drunk if he believed in miracles, and he said, yes, I do, because my God turned whiskey into furniture. Because the point was, as soon as he was able to put away the whiskey by the power of God, he was able to then afford furniture for his family. So many people, they, they want to end homelessness. They say, we, we need to help the poor, and surely we do. But unless you have a life change to the very core of your being, nothing permanent will change on that score. I met both. I met people that loved the Lord, that were struggling because of circumstances beyond their control, and that were doing anything they could to get out of poverty and homelessness. And I met people in the same place who, no matter how you tried to spur them on or cajole them, they never would change their circumstance because they continued to play the victim and chose not to take personal responsibility. So yes, we should care about the homeless. The Bible says that we should visit the orphan and the widow and remain unspotted from the world. That's true religion. I think so many times, so many churches invest in so many different programs that have nothing to do with those two things. And I think that's sad and inappropriate. But unless the Holy Spirit is changing someone, the change will not be permanent. So Gamaliel is going to now urge reason and restraint because these people that are leaders with him are going crazy. They're livid about what Peter and John have done. So let's read Acts chapter 5, verses 34 to 39, shall we? Then stood up there one of the council, Gamaliel, a Pharisee, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Then stood up there one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, held in reputation among the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thaddeus, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined him, and they themselves uh, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew many people after him. He also perished, 
and even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found to fight even against God. What did Jesus say? Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No matter how much people try to burn the Bible, to shun the Bible, to throw it out, to ridicule it in the public square, it still has life. Because it's the word of the living God. Paul was put in prison, and what did he do? He preached the gospel to the people that he was chained to. Can you imagine being chained to Paul? You're this Roman soldier, and you're like, oh man, I have Paul duty again today. I wonder what's going to happen. But in the end of the book of Philippians, what do we read? It says, the saints of Caesar's household greet you, which means that, well, Paul was chained to those who were working for Caesar. He was converting. He was being used by the Holy Spirit to convert those who were even in Caesar's household. That they had come under the conviction and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, and that they were now called saints by the Apostle Paul. What a powerful thing that is. And if we look at this, Gamaliel is trying to give reason he said there's been many people that have risen and fallen. Many leaders. And we see that through history. The Bible says that God puts up kings and takes down kings. He caused Nebuchadnezzar to become an insane animal and wander the fields for a number of years. And then after that fact, Nebuchadnezzar said, I praise and extol the king of, king of heaven. The very proud he is able to abase. And I have to wonder, I kind of lean toward this, that perhaps we will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because he went through a lot of lessons from the one true God. And at the end of it all, he said, I praise and extol the king of heaven. That's really what God is looking to do is to get us to the point where we praise and extol his name. And his name will be glorified no matter what. Remember what he said. If the people did not cry out, Hosanna to the son of David, the very stones would. Now, personally, I think that would have been a cool story to include if the stones started crying out. But, you know, we read in Romans that the very creation groans and is excited for the time when Jesus will put things right and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We don't fully understand what that means, but we know that it's true. So, Gamaliel urges reason and restraint. Can we look at Proverbs 21, verse 30? 
Proverbs 21, verse 30. No wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Do you know what a comfort that is to me? It means that if God has a plan for me, he's going to make it happen no matter how impossible it seems. You know, a couple months ago when I got that letter saying I would be losing my disability income, I was very scared. And there were a couple really bad days, probably more than a couple really bad days, where I was like, what do I do? It's pretty sad that my first thought was, maybe I should quit my job so that I can go and do everything they want me to do. But the Lord did what he often does in a situation like that. He gave a peace that passes understanding. And he showed me that he would take care of me. And that all I need to do is trust him. That doesn't mean that I don't still have bad days. There are times, even though I've given my disability to God and I know that he has a plan for my disability, that I lay awake at night and wish from the bottom of my heart that I had a healthy body. Because if I did, then maybe 12 years out of college, I would already be working full time. If I did, maybe I would have three car seats in the back of my minivan instead of it being empty because I would have a wife and children which I still greatly desire but the bottom line is God has a plan for how he's going to to deliver on the promises that he's made to me remember when he promised Abraham that he would have an heir it took 25 years before the promise was delivered. And it wasn't through the way that Abraham thought, because Abraham was like, well, maybe Ishmael can be my heir. And God said, no. And then he said, well, maybe Eliezer, who's been my servant, who's been like a son to me, can be my heir. And God said, no. Your heir will come from Sarah. From the union between you and Sarah, it will come through that. He came to him a year before and he said, this time next year you'll have a son. And Sarah laughed. Why'd she laugh? Because it was impossible. But the things that are impossible with, God, with man are possible with God. He showed us that again in the New Testament with Elizabeth and Mary, both impossible situations. For them to be able to have children and yet God made it possible. Because nothing is impossible with the God whom we serve. When Selden beheld the sword of Richard the Lionhearted, he marveled that a weapon so ordinary could have wrought such mighty deeds. The brave Englishman bared his arm and said, It is not the sword that did these things, it was the arm of Richard. It was the arm of God that fought against the Midian host. What, ma what mattered it to God 
whether, whether Gideon's army numbered 100,000 or one. One with God is a majority. And it says, anyhow, God measures men. He never counts them. When God came to Gideon and he was threshing wheat in the wine press, hiding it from the Midianites, he said, God is with you, mighty man of valor. You think Gideon felt mighty or a man of valor that day? No, he was hiding scared. And he said, how can I do anything for you? I'm the youngest of the youngest tribe. So I'm essentially the most insignificant person in this whole nation. And yet you're coming to me and calling me a man of valor and asking me to do this great and mighty thing. And that's what God does for a man or a woman who is serving him. He will give you often an impossible task that you will never be able to fulfill. And then he'll fulfill it through you anyway. And he'll take all the credit. The third and final section. The disciples are released and rejuvenated. Acts 40. Acts 540 to 42. And to him. They agreed. And when they had called the disciples. And beaten them. They commanded that they not speak. In the name of Jesus. And let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now, I find it a little bit comical because they agreed to leave them alone, but then they beat them. That's not exactly full agreement. And then... They commanded them to speak in the name of Jesus. Again, that's not exactly letting them alone. And they let them go. And then the disciples departed from their presence. And they, they ran powering back to the upper room and never spoke of Jesus again. No, because that would be the end of the book of Acts. And it would be a brutally tragic end. But that's not what they did. Instead, they rejoiced greatly that they were counted worthy to suffer for the gospel. I can only pray to have that courage someday. If it comes to that. And then also... I think it's interesting that they were daily in the temple and in every house and ceased not to preach Jesus. The temple was a central place. The temple was a place where everyone could see. So it wasn't like they were inviting people back to the upper room for a Bible study either. They were preaching in the most central, most obvious place. Kind of like Daniel, who was told not to pray to God. And what does he do? Not only does he pray three times a day, but he opens his window. And he prays three times a day. 
Because he could have prayed in secret. But no. He prayed out in the open. May we have that courage. And if we're not praying in secret, we won't have the courage to pray in the open when it's necessary. First Peter four thirteen to sixteen. First Peter four thirteen to sixteen. <coughs> Again, we can be happy in persecution. That doesn't seem like a recipe for happiness. You know, one of the most popular recurring memes on Facebook is, make yourself happy. Don't care about what anybody else thinks. Just make yourself happy. My friends, God does not want us to have that attitude where we're going to make ourselves happy at all costs. You can't make yourself happy anyway. It doesn't work. But what you can do is bring yourself in line with the word of God. You can seek holiness and happiness will result. Like that old children's song said, happiness is to know the Savior. Living a life within his favor. That's what happiness is. And he gives us the power to do it. That's the thing. People say, well, it's impossible to live within God's favor. And you're absolutely right, it is. But he gives the power for it. He doesn't leave us comfortless, as we said earlier. During a time of persecution in Korea, a young church member was accused by police and put in jail as a suspect. He was placed in a cell by himself, and he grieved because he was restrained from speaking of Christ to other prisoners. Soon he was banished to one of the neighboring islands. When he was released after the breakdown of the accusation, he said with a shining face, Just think, I have been longing for a chance to speak of Christ, and was mourning because I could not speak in jail. Then God sent me up to an unevangelized island where there was plenty of work to do and the government paid my fare. So, you never know what God's going to do. Remember Joseph. He was in the pit. He was sold into slavery. He was put in prison. But every place that he went, we see this phrase over and over in his story, but God was with him. And the ultimate reality was that Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He has sent me here ahead of you to save many people alive. And that had reverberations throughout history because Joseph saved the whole nation of Israel from whom would come our Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you know him. You can. The Apostle John said, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not an if. It's not a maybe. It's a you may know. I hope that you know. And if you don't know, may I encourage you to just simply, in the quietness of your heart today, if you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, that you call upon him today. So the Bible says, call upon him while he may be found. I am a, I'm a living testimony to the fact that when you cry out to God and you're in earnest, he will hear you and he will answer you. I was a very bitter young man as a teenager. Even though I had made my eternal destiny secure, my temporal destiny, I thought, stunk. Because when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I didn't wake up the next day being able to get out of bed myself. I wasn't able to feed myself a few weeks later. I wasn't able to dress myself five years later. I still lived in this crippled body. But then God broke through when I was 14 years old and he said, Andrew, stop making excuses for why I can't use you. Like he said with Moses, he said, go and do what I told you to do, and I will give you the words to say. And that's what he said to me years ago, and I'm so glad that he did. But he can't say words to you unless you're his follower. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. If you want to know more about that, I will be around to talk to you after the service. If you just need prayer or encouragement and you're already a believer, again, I would love to talk to you and encourage you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Acts that's showing how the Holy Spirit showed up and showed out. That it wasn't just a false promise that you don't make promises that you don't intend to keep, that all your promises are yes and amen. You sent your Holy Spirit and you turned scared fishermen into bold proclamators for you who turned the world upside down. And Lord, may we have similar bold proclamators here. Whatever sphere they're given, that they would turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to go from this place with peace, that you'd make your face shine upon us, and that you would do the things that you have told us to do, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we do long for that day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.